Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we simply want to be with you this morning. Would you simply meet us? Give us yourself. Let us sit at your feet, Lord. Thank you. Amen. So back in the 1700s, during the, the dark days of the Atlantic slave trade, there was there was a man who was captain of a slave ship. He got into this for the money, and then he got into it, and he realized this does not make me a happy person. It doesn't make me a person I'm proud of, and he felt the weight of this. He felt the weight of the heavy, dark, clinging, slimy evil that he was participating in. So one day, he was shipwrecked, and he ended up then on the coast of West Africa, and his father was also a ship captain, so his father sent his friend, another ship captain, down to look for him. So this ship's going up and down along the coast looking for him. He sees them. He lights all these branches on fire. They see the smoke. They come and get him. He gets on the ship. They're headed back to England. And going back to England, and out of the depths, this huge storm comes up. This is just a true story, historical story. We connect all the dots later in a minute. So this huge storm comes up, and the, the ship's hold is filling up with water, and the troughs are getting bigger and bigger, so it's harder and harder for the ship to make it back up to the top. So at one point, he says to the captain, I'm going to run help with the pumps, because we've got to get the weight out of the hold, the weight of the water. And he says, he says, if that doesn't work, then the Lord have mercy on us. That's our last hope. Then the Lord have mercy on us. Later, he said this. He said his own words startled him. He said, mercy. He said in astonishment, mercy. What mercy can there be for me? This was the first desire I had breathed for mercy in many years. Then he says that by six in the evening, the hold was pretty much free of water. The ship, the storm's still going, but the ship's floating decently. And he said, I thought I saw the hand of God helping us. And he says, I began to pray. He said, but I couldn't pray a prayer in faith. I could not draw near to God and call him Father. My prayer for mercy was like the cry of the ravens, which yet the Lord does not disdain to hear. He knew who he was. He knew what he was doing. He knew the weight and the heavy and the darkness of it. He felt completely inadequate for very understandable reasons. I don't care what they say in Florida. Slavery was horrible. And he knew the way to that. And he knew what that felt like. He knew what he was in. And he couldn't bring himself to believe that God would want to hear from him. Later, he says, that 10th of March is a day that I have always remembered. I have never allowed it to pass unnoticed since the year 1748. For on that day, the Lord came from on high. And delivered me out of deep waters. In the gospel, I saw at least a per adventure. Old word means a long shot chance. I saw at least a long shot chance of hope. But on every side, I was surrounded with dark, unfathomable despair. Depth of mercy. Can there be mercy still reserved for me? Can God show mercy on a person in such a dark place. Not only that, but could God not only show mercy, but even give that person a new story and even a useful future? I think I don't think it's a stretch. I think it can be done. I think you can connect the dots 
historically between this particular man praying that prayer for mercy on that day and the end of the Atlantic slave trade. We'll connect the dots at the end. That prayer for that man was an example, a very personal example of what our psalm today is. Our psalm today is probably the only beautiful desperation prayer that's ever been prayed, right? Normally, the desperation prayers aren't beautiful. In our psalm this morning, we heard, Lord, I call out to you. That call out, that verb in Hebrew could be translated as croak. And that's what it feels like, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like I've got nothing. I can't even put together a coherent sentence. And even if I could, I wouldn't want to. And all we do is croak. We just make a noise. And that guy croaked. He freaking croaked to God. And you can connect the dots to the end of the Atlantic slave trade. We'll do it at the end. So whatever's going on for you today, whatever the heaviness you bring, whatever it is in your mind, the story that speaks to you, that tells you how horrible you are and how many things you messed up and how you wish you'd done this differently and that differently and all the things you wonder what your life would have been like if you'd done something different. And what did I blow up then? And what did I lose out on there? Whatever you bring. This morning's psalm. This morning's psalm. Out of the deep I have called to you. This morning's psalm challenges us first and foremost to be willing to even croak. This psalm is lovely. It's a fantastic psalm. They're all great. They all work in their own way. It's beautiful. This one has eight verses, and they basically work in pairs. So there's basically four moves of two verses each, which, as we talked about as we've gone through the psalms this summer, typically a verse is itself a kind of a call and response thing. So basically two verses is four little half verses making up four movements over eight verses or whatever, 16 half verses. I, I'm going to someday, in my retirement, I'm going to reverse the Bible. And thank you, Dennis. Yes, <laughs> who wants it reversed? I mean, some of these things just don't make sense. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'll stop saying that. I know, I say that every week. All right. Out of the deep, I've called to you. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. The first challenge is just to have the courage to speak or even croak. It's just to have the courage to even speak or even croak. But catch the second half of that little pair. Let your ears consider well the voice of my supplication. The challenge is when we actually do croak. The challenge is when we get in those dark spaces. The challenge is when everything else is peeled away and croaking is the only thing we have left. That, friends, feels horrible, but it's an invitation to find our true selves. It's an invitation to find our true self connected to in relation to God behind all the things we put on, all the facades we put up to fit here, to fit in there, to be this and to be that. I like, I like to cycle. And North Shore is a great place to cycle. It's just, I just find it really funny, though. Like, 
Cycling and fashion on the North Shore. I can't keep up. If there's anything on the North Shore when you're supposed to look a certain way, it's when you're on your cycle, especially for guys. But if you've got the right kind of bike and you've got the right kind of gear, then you can walk around and people get out of your way. I almost bumped into a poor dude on a sidewalk one day when I was pulling into a coffee shop. And he stops and he starts apologizing to me profusely because I am, you know, a biker with the gear. I was like, hey, dude, it's my fault. Like, I'm about to bump into you. It's illegal for me to ride on the sidewalk. Don't apologize to me. Just don't punch me. (laughs) We get behind all that stuff, these desperation moments. Things like that fall away. They don't matter. It's an invitation to get real and to find our true selves. The second move, then, is a dare to hope. Do we dare to hope? When we hurt enough, when disappointment has stung us enough, if somebody comes and starts pushing hope at us, we respond even with anger. Get away. Just shut up and leave me alone. Go away. So the second move is a call to dare to hope. If you, Lord, were to mark what is done amiss, oh Lord, who could stand? This is one of with death with death this is the greatest equalizer of all and the two are related none of us none of us have with all of our heart soul mind and strength loved the Lord our God and our neighbor as ourselves all the time for our whole life so all of us have done amiss if you Lord kept a record if you marked it if you wrote it down and we're like no 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 you got this 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 We're all in trouble. If you did that, Lord, who could stand? But there is mercy with you. Therefore, you shall be feared. I have thought this verse was odd for so many years. There's mercy with you. Therefore, therefore is in the Bible are important. They they connect stuff. Therefore, you will be feared. I think this is saying you'll be feared because do we dare to hope? Don't hold that out there, Lord. Don't tempt me. Don't, you know, don't play with me. Don't raise my hopes. You'll be feared. You'll be respected. You'll be honored because you are so great and so good that you show mercy and you're willing to restart the story. Do we dare to hope? And it's scary to re-enter the zone of hope. And we're afraid of getting hurt again. Friends, I want to say God's mercy and his love are they're almost dangerous. There's an energy to them. If they get in us, it gets in us. And it can't be shut down. And it pushes and it pushes life. And that life keeps coming and keeps coming up. He's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't want all this. I'm scared of this. God's mercy and his love are so consistent and persistent. Move three says it only requires of us the thing that we Americans in a meritocratic, you know, winter kind of place like the North Shore hate the most. It only requires of us the thing that we have most been enculturated against. Waiting. Waiting. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for him. 
So in this third move, we get repetitions, the only repetitions in the psalm. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for him. In his word is my trust. Tom Petty and Simone Veil would make the oddest couple you've ever seen. But they're both right about this. Tom Petty, the waiting is the hardest part. Simone Veil says, waiting in expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life. Waiting in expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life. God will not be hurried. I'd rather that weren't true, but it is. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for him. In his word is my trust. What is God's word? It's his promise. It is in his scriptures. His scriptures give it to us. It's mostly Jesus, the living word, the word made flesh. The cross of Jesus then is the place where we trust. The cross of Jesus is the place where we trust. And so then the psalmist goes on, my soul waits for the Lord. More than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. This is possibly one of those brilliant, wonderful, poetic images in the psalm that doesn't do a lot for some of us. I remember as a kid, my pastor, he was he was a great guy, so blessed by him. I remember he would sometimes, when he was talking about this psalm or something else, he would sometimes tell the story of when he had been as a young man in the military. And he was at some some base out west, and it was flat, and it was uh, different terrain than he was used to, so he didn't know what to expect. And he was on guard duty. And something happened one night, and so he fired his rifle out into the dark because he was scared, because he'd been waiting and waiting. And the longer he waited, the scareder he got. And the longer he waited, the dawn never seemed to come, the jumpier he got. So it turned out it was a jackrabbit, which is a rabbit larger than rabbits they had where he was used to being. And it had jumped and it had scared him. So he was humiliated. He became the dude in his unit who got scared of a rabbit and shot at it in the dark and missed it to boot. The waiting. I think maybe it's like this. Maybe it's like you dive into the water and you go a little deeper than you thought. And you turn and you can see the light up there, but it just takes longer to get there, right? And you're like, can I just get to the top? Can I get to the air? Can I get to the air? It's like that. Just waiting, desperately hoping, but holding on, longing for that to come. So then the fourth move, the fourth move sums it all up and says, there is enough. Trust it. There is enough. Just trust O Israel, trust in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. There's plenty. God can handle it. He knows your story already. He knows what we have done and who we are better than we know ourselves. He is the one who one day will give us the, the, the white stone with our true name written on it. And our full true self will be realized in that moment. In the meantime, he knows. 
and he's got enough. And he shall redeem Israel from all their sins. Does anybody know yet who our slave captain is? It's John Newton, Bob says. Can't fool Bob. That's what you get for sitting in the front. Does anybody know who John Newton was? Anybody know John Newton's famous song? John Newton was the, the, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, which is lovely, but I don't think it's the best thing about it. John Newton's motto later in life became this. I know only two things. I am a great sinner. And Christ is a great Savior. What's amazing about John Newton's life is not only was there plenteous redemption to forgive him even the darkness he was in, but there was even for God the ability to give him a new story with profound meaning for good. So John Newton calls out to God in the storm. God meets him and saves them, and he has a crisis conversion. But it's still several years before he gives up the slave trade. It takes a while for for God's holiness and his mercy to soak in such that his holiness begins to shine through. And finally, Newton says, you know, I'm just in this because people say it's okay, and I get the money, and this is wrong, and he gets out. So he gets out of it. He gets out of it, and he becomes a part of the abolition movement. And he also becomes a Church of England priest. And he's in London, and he's a Church of England priest. And he's so passionate about God's forgiveness and a new story and God writing a story that young people who are asking, what do I do with my life? They start to come to see him. And one day, this brilliant, super charismatic, super extroverted young guy comes to John Newton and he says, you know, um, I'm in your church and I've been listening to you. And he says, here's my story, blah, blah, blah. And he says, I can't decide whether I want to become a priest or whether I should go into politics. And, and so they talk some more. And the guy is deeply concerned for justice. And he's worried about the slave trade. Newton looks at him and he says, with your gifts, with your passions, you should go into politics. And he becomes the spiritual director, if you will, the encouragement for William Wilberforce. And it takes Wilberforce the rest of his life and not a little bit of struggle and being called many names and ostracized by many people. But eventually, Wilberforce and those with him, he's the point of the spear together with others that begins the end of the slave trade in Western culture. And Wilberforce had someone with him named Thomas Clarkson, and Clarkson wrote pamphlets, what we would call pamphlets today. And those began to be sold in the States. And Wilberforce's example and the pamphlets of Clarkson influenced the abolitionist movement in America. And it's not crazy to connect the dots to say that John Newton, who named his autobiography Out of the Depths, and often in his personal devotions, went to this song. It's not crazy to say that that moment when someone cried out a desperation out of the depths, I call unto you, O Lord, prayer, that that moment was the beginning 
when God said, I've had enough of this, we're going to end it. And in his mysterious way, he still used people, and it still took a long time and a lot of pain. But God got in them, and they were determined, and it worked. And this psalm is the seed. If God can do it for John Newton, he can do it for me. And he can do it for you. And he can do it in whatever your circle is or your circumstance. It just starts with croaking. So we're going to take a few minutes now and croak. I invite you to do anything, even amounting to croaking. Just take a deep breath. We're just going to walk quickly through the four, the four moves of this psalm. I invite you just to croak out to God there what you're tired of, what you feel guilty about, what you're frustrated about, where you doubt yourself, what you're angry about, whatever it is. Just give you, just take a few seconds and let God know where you are with that. Second move, can you dare to hope? Well, that starts with hearing the Lord say, there is mercy. There is mercy. I love you. I'm present. And then waiting. Some of you I know have already been waiting. Just talk with God about the waiting or just wait. Whatever you need to do. Put your hope in the cross. Then ask the Lord to walk with you. The psalm sums up. There's plenteous redemption. Israel will be forgiven all her sins. And just know your story begins anew. God is there. He's with you. Out of the deep we call unto you, O Lord. O Lord, hear our voice. Now, friends, let us continue in a spirit of prayer. And in hope, let us pray to our Father in heaven.